going to start at 2 o'clock sharp. Um, and I, I will finish at 4, even if I'm not finished, because some of you uh, want to do some packing, perhaps, or, or, or whatever. Excuse me, I mean 3. Yes. <laughs> No wonder I saw such anxiety on people's faces. Yes, it's two to three, I guess. Yeah. Uh, that, it, that, that's not my first senior moment today. I want you to know that. Uh, I, I tried to remember some brother's name and couldn't years ago already when I was younger than he was. And unfortunately, he remembered my name. And I said, oh, brother, no, no, no. He said, brother Bob, don't go there. Don't go there. When we get my age, three things happen. The first is your memory goes, and the other two I can't remember. (laughs) But anyway, praise God that we're able to be together. Uh, We certainly want to invite him in our midst, first of all. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank thee for... Thy consistency in providing the truths of the gospel for every generation. It is a blessing to us, Father, that we can believe that this faith that we have is that which Jude was alluding to in the third verse when he said that we need to contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. And so as we go through the historical data that is here, that has been assembled, we pray, Father, that all of us might feel more deeply devoted to this faith once delivered to the saints because we will be convinced historically it is exactly that. And we pray, Father, that we might learn how we can help propagate it also and make it as tamper-proof as possible. In Jesus' name, amen. Please come in. Um, I want to read uh, some introductory remarks. This has been a, is an abridged version of this that, that did go two hours long in Kitchener, and I apologize to the loved ones for it, and had two younger brothers uh, work with me to Uh, boil it down smaller to a lower common denominator. And so uh, this should be done in an hour. Uh, And I did accomplish that at the brothers' meeting in West Akron, the members' meeting that was there. But I want to read just a part of my introductory remarks. I believe the apostolic church church is suffering an identity crisis. Some of us have an inferiority complex because we think we are such a small denomination. Should we expect many to embrace sound doctrine when Jesus said, quote, for many are called but few are chosen? What if the gospel we preach really is the faith delivered once to the saints? How many will be in that number when they shall come from the east and the west and the north and the south and sit down in the kingdom of God? Millions of saints, of the true church of God. Join me as we walk through two millennia of Christian history and claim the miracle 
that is ours as we preserve the faith, the fa- the faith that was delivered to us. These are those that are the bride of Christ. They are the eternally blessed, and that's the biggest church in the world. We, I believe, I belong to the biggest church in the world, and it's 2,000 plus years old. And so, if I can do this, a couple of things, something that, that I actually uh, alluded to this morning in my brief remarks, critical, if, if a continuity of belief can be traced back to the end of the first century, cannot be traced back to the end of the first century, it can hardly claim that it is the historical faith, and David Bershow said that. It can also be said that we must return to the first documented writings of the Apostolic Fathers in the language of their day to ascertain what was that faith that Jude was, was speaking of. What was the language of the day, of the first century? Well, we have to go back B.C., a couple of centuries. Uh, as you know, if, if you have studied world history, that Alexander the Great, uh, who lived as a general and at, what, 25 or something, conquered the Persian Empire? Okay. Conquered the, Wersian, uh, the, the Persian Empire. Uh, the language, of course, of that area of the world around the Mediterranean Sea where the Jewish uh, culture had migrated to, uh, and the Hellenistic people were a part of that as well. Uh, The Greek Empire had a conversational language called Koine, is how it's pronounced, I guess, and it became the official language of the countries around the sea. Most Jewish communities were located there where Greek was the spoken language. The Hebrew Bible... Uh, the Old Testament, uh, at least the first five books, which were the first uh, to be translated into Greek, was uh, finished, and it was called a Septuagint. And I don't know Greek, but I know that it means that 70, or I guess actually 71 scholars, were gathered together at the behest of a king whose name was Ptolemy, who believed that the Bible needs to be in the Greek language. And the Hebrew uh, scholars were put in separate uh, little houses. And at the end of their work, uh, those who commissioned their work were astounded at the similarity of what all 70 or 71 of those men came up with. And so many of them believed, and probably rightly so, that it was the inspired word of God. Um, It also became uh, the uh, Bible, if if you will, that the apostles used. Uh, There were other translations also, but they used this translation for one specific reason, and that is others said that the Christ child was born of a young woman, but this translation said he was born of a virgin. And so they used that as, as their texts. Well, tell me what I'm doing wrong. David. Uh, David's not here. <laughs> okay. 
Bob? I moved it once. Aha, yes. Um, a chronology of the New Testament. Uh, Christ's death and resurrection and ascension occurred in A.D. 32. There's a debate. Was it in May or October? I don't enter that debate. A.D. 32 is good enough for me. And I want you to notice the chronology here, and it's, it, 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 it shocked me. It really did. Uh, John Mark wrote the first gospel uh, of Mark in A.D. 70. I want you to watch the numbers. Uh, Matthew wrote his first one in uh, 85. Uh, the Gospel of Luke was written between 85 and 90, and the Gospel of John was written between 90 and 100 A.D. Uh, the Acts of the Apostles was written by Luke, uh, between 62 and, and 64, but he did not write his gospel until 85. Look at this. Saul of Tarsus met Christ on the road to Damascus in the year, and these years are plus or minus two or three. A.D. 37, spent three years in Arabia, and then began his ministry in A.D. 40. He wrote his first epistle, which was 1 Thessalonians, in A.D. 52, and his last letter in somewhere between 66 and 67 from prison in Rome prior to his beheading. What do you notice about his writings in terms of their chronology? Everything before any of the Gospels. Absolutely. None of the Gospel writers wrote anything excepting uh, Luke uh, took, uh, followed Paul around probably, and, and wrote the Acts of the Apostles. And, and, and I wonder about that. And it's interesting uh, that uh, Christ met Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus five years after his ascension. Now, it, we need to remember that the apostles were scattered uh, and their gospels were written at different times. You can see in this, over the space of 30 years from different places and still, there's a continuity, just like when the Septuagint was written or, or translated, and God had a hand in both of these things. Why do you suppose the, the writings of Paul were written first? It's conjecture, I know. Well, let me tell you. <laughs> Please. Oh, maybe. Maybe so. But I think also, Brother Bob, I, I think so that nobody could say that what he wrote was because of what he read. Well, maybe so. But I believe it was because the church was growing so fast, and it was rapidly growing, that it needed a charter. And the Apostle Paul really wrote that fundamental charter for the early church. But I, I, I found that astounding. I really did. Uh, uh, let me go back to it. I've got to make one more statement. No, I don't have time. You keep it, would you please? He, he, he has obeyed me almost all of his life, you know. 
But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things whatsoever I have said unto you. Jesus said that in St. John. And then he said, As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself. And then he talks about, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also that shall believe through their word. I'm telling you then that that tells me, that tells me that the entire gospel, that everything Christ said, and everything those who, who followed him and, and were those converted through his word, everything, the entire gospel, I want to say it again, and I want you to remember the word entire, was available to the world before the turn of the second century, first century actually. And, so, and, and also, because of that, every other writing after that is a commentary. And we've got to remember that. Every other writing after the first century is not some new revelation. It's a commentary of what the first century church believed. Okay, Bob. Uh, the understanding of the doctrines of the apostolic fathers is critical to examine our own. Comparisons may be made, uh, must be made, uh, with those teachers closest to Christ and the apostles. Quotations of faithful men bridged between 100 and, and the Edict of Milan, which is AD 313, talk about that in a, in a little bit, will be offered as the faith once delivered to the saints. The truth about the Reformation will also be revealed that most historians, maybe I should not say wrong, but I will, I will use the word, most historians are delinquent about actually uh, bringing uh, in, into history the major players through those dramatic years, rarely identifying Anabaptist leaders who reestablished the Orthodox, meaning the New Testament church. The Reformers, I, I, I'll accept the Reformation as terminologies for them, but they did not return the gospel to the first century church. They just did not. The Anabaptists did. Uh, these are, are just some informational sources. Uh, I don't want to spend a lot of time with those. Uh, Bob will quote some of those later. Uh, the authenticity of the documentation, uh, and, and this to me is critical. Anybody can take anything from history, or from the Bible for that matter, and make their point. Anybody can, by taking things out of context. Burko did not do that. He refused. Can you hang this thing around my neck? No, problem. No, it's okay. I can't stand still when I'm excited, and I am. Um, he didn't do that, and this is a criteria he used for all the information that's in this presentation. I have not represented any beliefs or practices as being those of the early church in general unless they meet the following criteria. All early writers who mentioned the subject express the same view. Number two, at least five early writers separated by time or geographical distance discuss the subject, and most are supported by five writers, more than five writers. Uh, Dr. Eberhard Arnold, who was he? He was a man who was uh, in the state church in the early turn of the, uh, of the 1900s, 
um, became convicted. He and his wife left the state church and started their own church that was called the Bruderhof, which means the Brotherhood Yard, or whoever. Give me a good translation, uh, Brother Eckhart. Are you here? Yeah, you are. Bruderhof. Anyway, these were people who, through his guidance and his uh, discerning history, really captured the doctrines of the early church, the earliest church. Uh, uh, he and his followers were allowed to uh, emigrate to um, the Nazis, actually persecuted them, and then allowed them to emigrate to England, and it became uh, uh, noted as Anabaptism in England at that point in time. Four tests of doctrine. Uh, all four of these, if, if they pass the litmus test, uh, will probably identify sound doctrine. Number one, does it flow from the Bible naturally? Is it in complete harmony with the teachings of the entire Bible? Does the support of this doctrine require strained and awkward interpretations of the scriptures? If the answer is no, that's fine. In this is this doctrine in complete harmony with God's salvation and abhorrence of sin and his plan of redemption? Uh, and lastly, does this doctrine encourage a closer walk with God rather than to encourage yielding to temptation and a life of sin? This is taken from our We Believe document, uh, but I'm going to read it anyway. I hope all of you have read it out of the document and have one. The validity of this new draft statement of faith depends upon its biblical character. Its usefulness depends on its ability to communicate our understanding of the biblical message. In this expression of our faith, we sincerely accept the lordship of Jesus Christ and the authority of the written word of God, the Bible. Our purpose in formulating this draft statement of faith is twofold. Number one, to seek to promote unity of the brotherhood by establishing an apostolic Christian doctrinal identity. And number two, to safeguard sound doctrine and life by providing a powerful and biblical, biblically grounded symbol of faith. We will, and, and the exhortation in uh, 2 Corinthians is, for we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. I want to walk through now some of these men down through the ages who were um, mentored by the apostles and, and in succession others after them. Uh, I want to say first, however, that Jesus Christ had a cousin whose name was Simon Cleopas who witnessed the entire life of the Savior, including his death, uh, uh, crucifixion, resurrection, uh, and he himself was executed at the age of 120. Polycarp was uh, a devoted disciple of John, and Polycarp and Simon Cleopas were the last two remaining uh, personal contacts with the apostles as the second century began. Polycarp uh, was a companion of John, uh, a, mo a model of faith. I won't read all of these things, but just uh, where he might uh, trigger some thoughts in your mind. He was the 
uh, overseer of the church of Smyrna, that the angel of that lady, little church, as, as it were, um, where there was not one thing that the Lord through the Spirit had against them. He lived to be 87 years of age, was finally martyred by being burned alive and pierced with a sword after he served his executioners a meal. It is said that, that he knew that they were coming. He was forewarned that they were. He made a feast for them, invited them to sit down uh, while the funeral pyre was being built, and they graciously ate, ate their lunch or whatever. I don't understand how they would do that, but maybe they wanted to be polite. Uh, and so they laid him on the fire, uh, lit it, and it is said that the flames seemed not at all to affect his body. And then someone pierced him with a sword, and he bled so profusely, and probably partly because his body was very hot, uh, that it almost put the fire out. And that's how this faithful man died. Irenaeus was a disciple of Polycarp, uh, went to France, uh, became the overseer of Lyons, uh, France congregation, well spoken of, of the early church of his time, uh, lived past the year 200, and was the critical link to the apostles, having been mentored by Polycarp, who was the companion of the apostle John. Irenaeus uh, was martyred in AD 200, being fed to wild beasts. Before his death, he declared that when they tear his heart to pieces, uh, he, that those who would find it would declare that the name of Jesus will be found on every piece. Good. Justin was a Roman philosopher con uh, converted to Christianity. He was an effective evangelist uh, to pagan philosophers, one of the foremost apologists of the faith, wrote a defense of Christianity and personally sent it to the emperor. There aren't many people who, who would do something that they were sure would uh, cause the edict for their demise to be written, but he did. He devoted his life to helping educate pagans, Romans especially, and, and philosophers the meaning of Christian life. Uh, a gifted teacher was arrested by some philosophers that pl plotted against him, chose rather to renounce Christ, and was executed in Rome in AD 165. Thereafter, he was known as Justin the Martyr, or simply uh, Justin Martyr. Clement of Alexandria, another converted philosopher who found Christ while, te while searching for truth, traveled through the Roman Empire, the entire Roman Empire, actually, uh, to every church, uh, learning the precepts of the oldest and most respected elders of his time. His writings dated about AD 190, reflected the composite wisdom of his teachers. He observed and wrote the, uh, the quotation, the church spoke as if it had one heart and one soul. And we're talking now about two centuries already. Uh, he settled in Alexandria, became the elder of that congregation, was in charge of a Christian school, the first Christian school of instruction in Alexandria until persecution forced him to leave, was the personal mentor of origin, a brilliant student, whom we'll find next. <clears throat> he became the head of the Christian school when persecution drove Alexander away under great persecution uh, he, at the age of 17. Uh, he was proficient in grammar and Greek, uh, taught him by his father, later gave private lessons to help support his family. Origen defended his own father at a trial uh, where he was tried for his faith, and of course the sentence was already uh, 
in place before the trial began. His father was executed, but that trial was, was, was notably uh, written down. Because of his unusual brilliance, many pagans sent their children to him for instruction, many of whom became faithful Christians. He refused to accept any payment for his services as a Christian teacher. Became one of the most respected teachers of his time, giving Bible lectures. Uh, scribes recorded his words, compiling them as the first set of Bible commentaries written by a Christian. But please remember the name commentary, or the word commentary. He died at the age of 70 from inhumane torture. Tertullian, a converted pagan, became a staunch defender of Christianity, uh, most familiar of the early writers because he wrote on, on many of the church practice issues, was one of the most gifted apologists to the Romans, uh, elder at Carthage in North Africa, <coughs> wrote most of his works in Latin rather than Greek, remembered for several memorable sayings such as, the blood of the martyrs is a seed grain of the church. He wrote thousands of letters to Christians who were in prison awaiting execution, letters of, of, of exhortation and, and comfort, and that term was often used. His writings uh, actually spanned uh, 20 years. They included, inclu well, I just told you that. Uh, he exhorted the believers to remain separate, uh, to maintain their separation from the world. Unfortunately, lost his way at the end of his life and joined a Montanist sect, which was begun by some women. The sect com uh, claimed a superior authority based on divine inspiration. What that means is uh, they believed that, that the scriptures themselves were insufficient and, and God was giving divine inspiration to uh, the true believers uh, to, to embellish the scriptures. And, and some believe that that was the, the first type of Pentecostalism. That may or may not be true. I don't know. Lactantius, a celebrated teacher, uh, dedicated his library, his literary abilities to the cause of Christ, lived through the last great persecution of Christians in the early A.D. 300s, uh, eventually settled in France. His writings are especially important because they were written at the end of the pre-Constantine period of the church. We're going to talk about the Constantine thing in a little bit. They demonstrated that most Christian beliefs changed very little from the end of the Apostle John's life, which was the, uh, the, uh, early in the second century, to the beginning of the Constantine reign. Lactantius was an old man when Constantine became emperor in 312. He, asked Const he was asked by Constantine to be his personal teacher, to be the personal teacher of his son. I'd love to find out the name of that son and find out what those teachings did to his boy. Uh, and now I, we're going through, you, you've learned who these writers are, we're going through some of the things that were important issues to the early church. And you'll notice at the top in, in the beige is our statement of faith uh, number. And I, I, I tell you, I was all finished with this thing, or I thought I was, and I realize this thing meaning what we have just read and the Schleitheim Confession, which we'll read a little later on and, and, and so forth. I was finished with it, I thought, and I came to a realization, my, I've just read, just finished reading what our statement of faith is. And I'll tell you, 
It was one of the most moving, moving experiences in my whole spiritual life. It just, you know, I, I, get, I get chills uh, when, when I think about that complete comparison of those two. Uh, swearing to an oath, and I won't read all of them. Uh, you, you can perhaps... Uh, but understand that three men wrote about them. Tertullian said, I, see, I need say nothing about swearing, since swearing is not lawful. And Clement uh, brought out the fact that the scriptures say, you know, uh, the, let your yea be yea and nay nay. Bob, let's go to the next one. We're going to run short of time. On war, uh, Justin Martyr uh, said, we who formerly murdered one another, because they had gladiator contests and uh, other murders, Refrain from making war upon our enemies, Tertullian said. Can it be lawful to take the occupation of the sword when it, the Lord proclaims that he that uses the sword shall perish by it? Shall the son of peace take part in battle when it does not become him even to sue at law? Uh, shall he apply the chain, the prison, the torture, or the punishment when he is not the avenger of his own wrongs? And so those three early brothers uh, talked about war. Responsibility to the country. Uh, Cyprian wrote, Our answer is that we do, when occasion requires, give help to kings, but in a divine way, putting on the whole armor of God. We do this in obedience to the injunction of the Apostle Paul to Timothy. I urge, therefore, first of all, the supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all men, for kings and all those in authority. Uh, the more anyone excels in holiness, holiness, the more effective is his help to kings, even more so than given by soldiers who go out to fight and slay as many of the enemy as they can. None fight better for the king than we do, forming an army of righteousness by offering our praises to God. On divorce, uh, by the time of Christ, extramarital <clears throat> affairs were uh, rampant in, in, in the Roman culture, even though... Uh, it, it was under the Greek auspices. Uh, we're no longer scandalous, as they aren't anymore here either. Um, I just want to go down through here. Now I do want to read this, I guess, all. The early church allowed for divorce only for adultery, Matthew 19.9. Persons who divorced and remarried for any reason were considered to be living in an adulterous relationship. Even if a couple was divorced on the grounds of adultery, the church did not allow remarriage. Hermas said it's good for a husband not to marry after divorcing his wife in case the wife may repent. In this matter, men and women are treated the same way. On abortion, uh, lots of different methods had already been devised by the Romans. The church considered it murder. Uh, Felix whom we didn't have up on the board there for some reason earlier. There are some women among you who by drinking special potions, extinguishing the life of future human in their bowels, thus committing murder before they even give birth. Tertullian wrote, since murder is forbidden in any form, we may not destroy even the fetus in the womb, which means that the early church fathers believed that the fetus in the womb was a person. And... I put this in, uh, and, and it maybe it ought to be one of our on our statement of faith, but it's not. But I thought this was profound, and Brother Joe will think so too. Brother Joe Graninger. 
Tertullian wrote, and, and they, the Roman theater was pantomime, of course, where they acted out things without verbalizing them. They teach adultery by acting it out. How can we expect our young people to respond when they see that, that these things are practiced without shame and that one eagerly watches? The father who carefully protects and guards his virgin daughter's ears from every polluting word then takes her to the theater himself, exposing to all her to all the vile language, I guess some didn't speak, it wasn't all pantomime, and attitudes. How can it be right to look at things that are wrong to do? How can those things that defile a man when they go out of his mouth not defile him when they go in through his eyes and ears? That is really profound. Joe, you can have a copy of that. <laughs> Roles and demeanor of women. And they were not male chauvinists. <clears throat> Tertullian commented extensively on matters of church order. Um, let me go down through that. He said, I pray you, mother, sister, or virgin daughter, let me address you according to the names proper to your years. Veil your head. Walk in accordance with the will of your espoused, meaning that if she's married, sure, but the others are espoused to Christ. Christ is he who bids the espoused and wives of others yield themselves, veil themselves. Others who think the palm of their hand plainly greater than any fringe or thread misuse their head. I'm sorry, that's not my quote, but do I ever agree with it? It is not permitted for women to speak in the church or teach, pray, or baptize, nor to claim any manly function of on, on church shepherds and teachers uh, Bershow writes the entire body of elders were the full-time pastors of the early church churches the congregation wasn't interested in the depth of their knowledge as in the depth of their spirituality there were no seminaries grandma Lam used to say uh, seminaries are have the wrong word they ought to be called cemeteries because that's where the word of God is buried among some of her other statements, brother Mark. A man learned the necessary skills through the school of experience. Trained by the existing body of elders, he learned how to walk closely with God and to shepherd others by imitating their examples. He had to teach by example and by word before he could be considered for service as an elder or overseer. Lactantius said, and this I love, too, among all the rest of this, by the way, how will the teacher take away the excuse of the self-willed unless he teaches by his deeds so they can see with their own eyes that the things he teaches are possible? Uh, you know, that is just profound. On, on capital punishment, the early Christians abhorred taking life, whether by war, uh, abortion, or execution. God, When God forbids us to kill, he not only prohibits the the violence that is condemned by public laws, but also forbids that violence that is deemed lawful by men. It is always unlawful to put a man to death whom God willed to be a sacred creature. This is a big one that I, I, I want you to, to uh, know of because I sense a resurgence of the idea that we should... Re, re, we as a church, ought to reinstate those 
who have committed three sins of destruction that the church has held as unforgivable by the body of Christ. 285. During the first two centuries, the church universally considered three sins as possibly forgiven by God, 1 Corinthians 5.5, but never by the church, by the body of Christ, the church. They were sexual immorality, heresy, which is the denial of the faith, and murder in any form. Those guilty of these sins were excluded from Holy Communion and separated from the fellowship. Ignatius called it the medicine of immorality and the antidote of death, meaning that the exclusion of committing such unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, 1 Corinthians 5.5, 5, was the antidote or the medicine for those who have committed those sins for the possibility of God to forgive yet in the day of judgment. That's not the church's place to do. The first attempt, the first to accept Repentant sinners, former believers, as a matter of church policy, was Calissus, a bishop of Rome, readmitting them on several grounds, including the Church of Rome is the heir of Peter to whom Jesus had given the keys to bind and to loose. What does that sound like? Catholicism, right? Tertullian was aghast and exclaimed, We do not forgive apostates, and shall we forgive adulterers? But the ruling of Calissus won general acceptance. Wow. Poor Callistus. In the following decade, heretics, murderers, and others were also readmitted. Other departures from apostolic doctrines soon followed. On eternal security, many wrote on that. The early church uh, universally believed that works and obedience play an essential role in our ultimate eternal salvation. Not in the conversion experience. That's not what they're saying. What they're saying is what Paul said, you show me, uh, I'll show you my faith, that works. I, I don't remember the whole. But anyway, a companion of Paul uh, wrote, let us strive to be found in that number that wait for him in order that we may share in his promised reward. But how, beloved, does how, beloved one, shall we do this? By earnestly seeking the things that are pleasing and acceptable to him, by doing those things that are in harmony with his blameless will, the will of the word of God, and by following the way of truth, casting away from us all unrighteousness and sin. Uh, Polycarp uh, spoke of it also. He who raised him up from the dead will also raise us up if we do his will, walk in his commandments, and love what he loved, keeping ourselves from all unrighteousness. And I'm, go ahead, Bob, because we're not going to have time for all of it. Uh, baptism. Uh, many, uh, Christ's words to Nicodemus was universally understood by the early Christians to be direct reference to baptism. The following quote from Justin Martyr shows, they did not view water baptism as an empty, meaningless symbol. We should not say, loved ones, that it is an outward expression what has taken place inside. It's more than that. If we read in Romans, it talks about those who were buried in the death of Christ. So it's much more than a symbol. As many as are persuaded and believe that what we teach and say is true are brought to us where there is water 
and are regenerated, born again in the same manner in which we ourselves were regenerated. For in the name of God the Father and the Lord uh, of, of the universe and our Savior and Holy Spirit, they may receive the washing with the water, washing uh, uh, meaning baptism. For Christ also said, except ye be born again, ye shall not enter into the kingdom. Okay, let's move it, Bob. Uh, the demise of sound doctrine um, started early. We just told you, A.D. AD 185 was the first. Uh, significant things uh, from the 4th through the 16th century. Uh, you just can't go all through the, the um, Dark Ages. Um, and, and yet, and, and, and keep in a presentation like this, and yet through all of that time, there are there is evidence that is found in the Martyr's Mirror, that book that's about this big, of of some who who came forth and suffered for the faith through every age of time, and so the remnant was always there. Uh, please remember that until uh, just about this time, or or the end of of the second century, the church was a viable force in the world to be reckoned with, Christianity. But anyway, the papacy began in 303 with infant baptism. Uh, and in that same year, 17,000 Christians were slain in one month by Emperor Diocletian. Uh, then Constantine and Licinius, who were generals, army generals, Roman generals, uh, one in the east and one in the west, decided, uh, if you can't lick them, join them. You've heard that, that cliche before, and that's exactly what happened. The Edict of Milan gave freedom of religious expression to everyone, including the Christians. In fact, they even gave back um, uh, real estate that was confiscated uh, and, and helped rebuild what they had destroyed, and then, of course, Constantine had something much larger than that in mind. Uh, he then later, before uh, 80, sometime between 13 and 25, he defeated Licinius. He drove him out of his uh, position and became the emperor of Rome, the grand emperor of Rome, and presided over the Council of Nicaea. Bob, you want to flip it? Let's leave that a go for a moment. What was the Council of Nicaea? He invited all the Christian leaders to, to, to come together because, in fact, they were arguing about little things like what really is the difference between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and some of these things that really became theological uh, debates. And he, did not, Constantine, did not want to see Christianity become segmented. It would just be some more that he would have to deal with. And so he invited them to Nicaea, wine, paid their way, wined them and dined them, and what resulted out of that was some of the apostolic teachings became, uh, in, in order to compromise the groups, became uh, Christian creeds, and they had been modified, so okay, uh, now we can agree on this. And the doctrine of the apostolic fathers was, was, was simply shredded. And it caused those who were the faithful remnant to become an underground church. And, and, and they suffered greatly because of it 
from the church. They suffered martyrdom. Okay. Uh, Dr. Arnold wrote this, and, and I think this, we need to be careful. And please, I am not against higher education. I am not. But I, I, I'm totally convinced that there are many who have gone to the higher halls of learning and lost their simple faith. I've experienced that. Uh, thank God uh, our, our family has said whenever any of our kids are going to school, they're going to either stay home and go to our colleges or go somewhere where there is a, a, a church. But uh, a young believer that's isolated uh, and, and handed over to uh, academia is in desperate straits. Uh, Dr. Arnold said, together with Oriental mysticism, it was Greek philosophy, especially Plato's, which exercised an increasingly dominant influence in this direction, away from Orthodox Christianity. In the years between 180 and 250, Christianity became a great power in the field of learning and literature by extensively absorbing contemporary culture and philosophy. To the and, and this was profound, I think, and therefore uh, darkened. To the same degree that it found favor with the educated, it departed from the central message of the kingdom. Way back then. As later the third, as the third century, Irenaeus, Hippolytus, and Tertullian tried in vain to hammer out the purest form of Christian truth again, and in vain those believers was dis, were disdainfully called ignorant, uneducated, and simple-minded but continued to protest vigorously against the invasion of learning. Okay, Bob. Big man in the Christian uh, scene, on the Christian scene, was St. Augustine, or Augustine. Um, he was born in, uh, I, I'll let you read the statistics to save me time and voice, but was considered the father, still is, considered the father of Western theology and Catholic doctrines, and also... The evangelicals claim him as a uh, servant of God, in spite of the fact that he believed in the Crusades that slaughtered people who would not become Christians. He believed in eternal security. He himself had difficulty with immorality. Uh, he influenced many evangelicals today and was the primary influence of Calvin and Luther uh, in the Reformation. Uh, in 414, uh, was the conversion of one John Chrysostom who wrote on the need to, for complete conversion before baptism. And he was a voice crying in the wilderness. But my point uh, that's made in the, in the martyr's mirror many times, that voice was always heard somewhere from somebody uh, the, and, and the remnant was, it was intact. Uh, the papal church declared infant baptism common law, <laughs> canon law, excuse me, Canon law, uh, and you can read the, re the rest of the results of that in the Martyr's Mirror. In 1155, Peter Waldo founded the Waldensian sect, reveals the first evidence of the Anabaptist faith. What is the Anabaptist faith? It simply is the early Christian faith that expected adults to be born again before they're baptized, because the great uh, heresy was this infant baptism which started already in the 4th century. Um, uh, the Waldensians 
are still alive. Uh, the sect is still alive. Uh, some are in South America that I, that, that I know of. Uh, they uh, in, in, included in their uh, a theology and practice uh, non-resistance, were slaughtered by the thousands, escaped in the, into the mountains between uh, Italy and, and what's above Italy? Ah, yes, Switzerland. Forgive me, brother, or as I should have, should have known. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and unfortunately, the non-resistance thing was challenged by a young leader who actually brought an army together to defend them. And they were, for a short time, well, in, in the existence from what? Eleven hundred until now. A short time might have been a couple of years, brother Ors. Do you know that more specifically than I do? I don't know exactly. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, I think the biggest thing that happened uh, to bring the one of the biggest things to bring back the orthodox teachings was a machine. In fourteen forty, John Gutenberg invented the printing press. That, so that everybody could have a Bible. And the first thing he printed on it was a scripture that in Genesis uh, somewhere, from Genesis somewhere. Uh, in 1517, I know, you know, more people were becoming literate, more people were reading the Bible. The Catholic Church stood out as an extreme uh, departure from early Christianity. And Martin nailed his 95 Theses on the Catholic Church in Württemberg, Germany. 1520, three years later, he was, he was expelled from the Catholic Church, and Swingley uh, persuaded the Zurich Council to forbid any religion which, which uh, with practices not based on the scriptures. Swingley and John Calvin propagated the Reformation movement in Switzerland, and John Knox in Scotland, probably about almost 100 years later, not, not at the same time. And then, in, in just four years, Conrad Grable, who was not a disciple of Swingley, but a friend of his, uh, bemoaned the fact that Swingley's teachings were, was not reestablishing that Orthodox Christian church. And, and so he left the movement and began what was known as the Swiss Brethren. And they uh, then... Uh, he, along with Felix Mance and George uh, Blaurock, uh, who, who was also a former associate of Swingley, separated. I told you why. Grable, Mance, and Blaurock founded the, 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 the Brethren Congregations uh, and thrust the Anabaptist teachings into the arena of Christian thought. To that point, it was Catholicism, Calvinism, uh, what Swingley proposed, and, and Lutheranism. But now that resurgent of Anabaptist teachings became uh, something to reckon with. An observer declared of these people, I have found men who have surrendered themselves to the doctrines of Christ by repentance, evidenced by fruits. They established a congregation which, in which repentance was evidenced by newness of life in Christ. Uh, Anabaptism um, let, let, me, let me go back. Uh, Grable was only a true believer. They baptized each other. 
Mance and Blaurock and Grable. And, and he died 18 months after that of the plague, but had baptized more than 3,500 people in that period. It, it, was, it was growing, uh, the Anabaptist movement, much to the chagrin uh, and concern of, of the reformers, the real reform, yeah, the former reformers. Uh, reformers taught sinners are saved in their sins. Anabaptists declared regeneration was necessary, resulting in a new creature in Christ, evidenced by fruit of the Holy Spirit. Converts were saved from their sinful natures and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Please let the old man make one more observation. That is another concern that I have. And loved ones, I, take it from me. I love music. Uh, I, and I, I, I enjoyed everything that I've heard. But when I analyze the lyrics of some of our music, it is not calling for being saved from our sins, but declaring that we, can't, we will be saved in our sins over and over again. Please, don't take my word for it. Read the lyrics. Read the lyrics. And we're in trouble on that issue. We really are. Anyway, you have not chosen me, but I've chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit shall remain. Um, and in, in one translation, the word ordained, well, it's there. It's, the word is planted, meaning you, you, you plant the seed and it dies and then brings forth fruit to the honor and glory of God. Um, I'm running out of time. Uh, Go to the next one. I think I touched that one enough. Uh, the Faith of the Switz Brethren and Michael Sattler. Who is Michael Sattler? Michael Sattler was a Benedictine monk, Catholic monk, who came under the teachings of Grebel and Mance and became involved with the Swiss Brethren. Uh, when Grebel died and Mance and, and, and uh, Blaurock both were... were uh, executed uh, because uh, uh, Mance had been a Catholic. Their method was burning him at the stake, which they did. And because uh, Blaurock was not, uh, he was uh, drowned in the Lamont River. And what they did to make it really bad, they put you under until you're just about dead, then pull you up and do that over several times and then maybe the seventh or eighth time they hold you down and you die. And I don't, pardon me? That's waterboarding. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's where it comes from, perhaps. Anyway, I just uh, talked about that. Excepting I want to say, that uh, flip it, Bob, to the next one. Uh, in, in 1527, uh, the Schleitheim Confession uh, was written. Uh, Sattler believed and, and found out that there were many different uh, groups of people who now had embraced the Anabaptist doctrines. And, and he, he believed that it was time that they were gathered together and bring up some kind of we believe document, if I can use that term. And so it is suspected that he organized the Schleitheim uh, meeting in Schleitheim. Was that in Germany, brother? 
Southern Germany. Southern Germany, I thought so. In fact, maybe, I, yeah, I said so. I ran on my parade all the time. Um, several articles were written uh, and, and agreed upon, and I want to go through them with you, Bob. Uh, and there are the statements of faith that are published on these. A baptism shall be administered only to those who have experienced <coughs> true repentance and truly believe that their sins have been taken away through Christ, who desire to be buried with him in baptism and walk in the resurrection of Christ. This excludes infant baptism, which they considered the, great, the first and greatest abomination of the Pope. The ban shall be employed upon all those who have given themselves over to the Lord, who have been baptized and walked in His ways, and have been overtaken by sin. The same shall be worn twice privately, and the third time be publicly admonished before the congregation according to the commandment of Christ. And if they heeded not uh, the church's uh, judgment, they were considered as a heathen publican. Breaking Holy Communion must be that whosoever does not sh share the calling of, the of one God to one baptism, one faith, one spirit, one body with all the children of God may not be made one loaf with those who have fellowship with the dead works of darkness. Four. The commandment of the Lord is obvious whereby he orders us to be and become separated from the evil one and thus he will be our God and we shall be his sons and daughters. Further, he admonishes us therefore to go out from Babylon and earthly Egypt, separation from the world. We have been united as follows concerning shepherds of the church. And this one really breaks your heart. At least it does mine. The shepherd shall have good report of them that are outside the faith. The office of such a person shall be to read, exhort, teach, and admonish congregations. He shall be supported wherein he has need by the congregation which has chosen him. But if the shepherd should be, should be driven away or led by the Lord, by the, by the cross, meaning martyr, that selfsame hour, shall there be another ordained to take his place. And the sword, meaning killing somebody, for any reason, is the ordering of God of outside, of, of God outside the perfection of Christ. It punishes and kills the wicked, guards and protects the good. In the law, it establishes punishment and death for the wicked. Secular rulers are established to wield the same. Romans 13, isn't it? The chapter where Paul talks about it. Not many who do not understand Christ's will for us will ask whether a Christian may use the sword against the wicked or for the protection and defense of good. The answer is unanimously revealed from him, revealed from him meaning Christ. We should, and and uh, something in my life changed as I read this. We shall therefore not become magistrates or in any way pass sentence in disputes and strife about worldly matters since Christ did not wish to pass judgment on such matters. I will not be on a jury ever again. For that reason. Number seven. We have united as follows concerning the oath in the law of its commandment, commanded that it should be done only in the name of God, truly and not falsely. Christ who teaches perfection of the law forbids his followers all swearing, says your speech shall be yea, yea, 
and nay nay, for what is more, that comes from the evil. Okay, um, I, I've got one minute to tell you, too much. Anyway, uh, what was Michael Sattler's fate? Michael Sattler and his wife were found carrying the minutes of the Schleidheim confession on their person. They were arrested. He was burned at the stake, and she was uh, executed in some other way. You know, it cost. It cost to follow the Lord. What we have and the price that has been paid, of, of, of course, began at Calvary. But I'm telling you, martyrs' blood was shed for centuries, and in every century, and it's being shed today for this faith once delivered to the saints. Just some high spots, if I may. It's 3 o'clock. If, if somebody needs to go find, uh, I, I'm going to take maybe another 15 minutes. Uh, some of the defenders of the faith, Menno Siemens, uh, left the errors of Rome and founded the Mennonites. Interesting thing about him, uh, he was reluctant. Uh, he didn't do it quickly. And, and he had uh, a brother who embraced it and then became part of what was called the Munster Rebellion, which was uh, um, a group of people gathering together to, you know, we have our rights. Well, that's not what the government decided. And in the battle that ensued, uh, Siemens' brother was, was killed. And he did uh, uh, become um, leader of the Mennonites, uh, and they did uh, finally embrace through him, all of the doctrines of the early church, including the non-resistance issue. Uh, he did write in his later days, because there were many schisms among the Mennonites, many, 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 over the years. And he declared in his, on his deathbed that he believes he was too much a pleaser of men and not a pleaser of God. Uh, all of us that are shepherds are going to have some regrets. Um, I, don't, I, I hope that's not one of mine. But there will be others. Uh, the Quakers separated from the state church. On 18, 1848, on St. Bartholomew's night during the French Inquisition, 40,000 Huguenots were slain uh, after being condemned as heretics. And from his ancestors, who escaped that night, 300 years, well, actually, 200 years later, 250 years later, whatever, uh, Samuel Price was born. Uh, if we have to have a earthly founder uh, of, of our denomination, it would be Samuel Fraley, but we aren't Fraley because we're Christians. And I hope I've convinced you, even before this slide, that the true faith was alive and, and well since the end of the first century. 1839, two locksmiths, Hungarians came, uh, worked with Freilich, uh, and by the way, Freilich was a man who preached over 400 sermons, taught many children's uh, classes, uh, kept a diary uh, without a computer, and wrote two to 300 letters in duplicate, not in his lifetime, annually. In 25 years of his ministry, 110 churches were established. Uh, Denko and Kropacek went back to Hungary, kept close contact with Freilich. 
uh, and, and, and the gospel spread like wildfire. And among the converts in Hungary was Joseph Bellet, who would later share the gospel with America before a world war. Whoops, give me that one back, Bob, if you can. Okay. Did you? Yeah. Yeah. There were thousands of Anabaptists in Austria-Hungary alone. Among them are Nazarene believers, which at one time, I'm told, before World War II, were over 50,000. Uh, 34. 1834. Mennonite families, Berklers and Farney, immigrated to America to avoid military service in the Napoleonic Wars. Uh, settled in Lewis County, New York, what, north of us by 50 miles, among the Amish. Soon realized the need for spiritual leadership. Benedict Wayneth came, young man, powerful preacher, founded the first congregation in America in Krogan, New York, about 40 miles north of Syracuse. Andrew Braun came to America with his family and a small flock of believers. Andrew Braun was, was harassed by a king whose little kingdom he lived in for preaching the gospel. And at the end of, maybe not every, but many services, the constables would come and get him, uh, put a belt on his feet and his hands, and hang him up in jail overnight. And somebody took pity on him, a count actually took pity on him, and his little flock, and arranged to have them extradited or whatever uh, to America. And he and his little flock of believers came in 1854 on a clipper ship. And, and, and by the way, when these two Mennonite families, Berkler and Farney, came over, uh, they had, I think, seven square feet of space per person under, uh, under the deck. I don't know how many children they, were, they lost in the 58 days it took, you know. And, and, and we, we had trouble staying in church on Sunday afternoon. That, that really bores me, but it's okay. Uh, his grand, he was the grandfather of Philip and Gaius Brown. The first um, baptisms were in Bluffton, Indiana. Uh, uh, and, and I might say that uh, Wayanit uh, wanted to take a wife like any brother would, so he asked permission to go back to Europe and married a sister there, brought her back, and they settled on a farm somewhere in Indiana or Illinois, I don't know, raised a family. But Benedict, uh, when the crops were in the granary, would, would get in, in the wagon and go from Illinois to Oregon to preach the gospel. And it is said that his lovely wife had put up the writing and said, Benedict, if you don't come soon and plant corn, our children are not going to eat next winter. But such was the zeal, you know. Uh, and now we, oh my goodness, I don't want to go there, I haven't got time, or you haven't got time now. <coughs> In 86, oh, by the way, this Joseph Bella from Hungary uh, was probably the primary, uh, besides Wayanet, was the primary evangelist that evangelized North America. And he was a Hungarian. Uh, they spoke German very well, too, I understand. As did all of these congregations speak German in the beginning. Uh, in 1886, uh, Geislich comes from Zurich, Switzerland, an elder brother. I think he was an elder, was he? Brother, uh, I know you can't go back to 86, but you might have heard about him. I mean, 1886. His descendants became elders. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, found a few believers in Mansfield, um, uh, and through the, uh, and, and that became a large church through the efforts of Bela, Hungarian. I told you I was going to quit 15 after, and I will. Uh, actually, this is the last one, I think, Bob, right? No. Next. Go back. Yeah, well, that was. That's the last one. This is, imagine, this is a, uh, a comment, a quotation that goes back to AD 130, I happen to run across it, by a Roman who wrote a book uh, castigating Christianity, the Christians that he knew. He literally wrote a book, and this was in the book. They dwell in their own countries simply as sojourners. They are in the flesh, but do not live after the flesh. They pass their days on earth, but they are citizens of heaven. They obey the prescribed laws, and at the same time, they surpass the law by their lives. They love all men, but are persecuted by all. They are unknown, yet condemned. They are put to death, but restored to life. They are poor, yet they make others rich. They possess few things, yet they abound in all. They are dishonored, but in their dishonor they are glorified. I can't read this. And those that hate them are unable to give any reason for their hatred. Uh, skip the top one because we've heard it already. And, and, and this week another brother quoted it. What an incomparable blessing that after examining the doctrines of the earliest believers, we could say amen to Brother Henry Michel's statement. It is a foretaste of heaven to personally relate to the conviction felt by the psalmist when he wrote in Psalm 103, Know ye that the Lord, he is God, and is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. I'm sorry. I just see such a flippancy at the end of my life on the part of some who think this thing is, is something you put up your sleeve and take out when you need it and throw it away when you're done with it. I don't know. Please. Th th those comments, I hope, aren't on the record, but they probably are. Devotion to this thing that is the faith once delivered to the saints is getting less, not more. And I don't know how many, of you, how deeply do we value this? What are we willing to sacrifice to preserve it? What strategic plan is in place and working in our family circles? The first line of defense for it is in the home, not in the church. Absolutely not in the church. The church only reflects what the home environments are. May those who come behind us find us faithful. Thank you for your patience. I appreciate it. Thank you. The Lord be thanked. That's one of the reasons I don't do this much anymore is my emotions are just too fragile. I used to wonder why Uncle Philip Ron cried so often. <laughs> now I know. He was an old man.
Thank you.